0: that this is a tape recording made at the Chapel of the Open Book at our Wednesday dinner hour meeting, and we're still dealing with Romans, the 8th chapter. (laughs) When you look at the epistle to the Romans as a whole, you realise what magnificent teaching there is embodied in it, and very especially in this 8th chapter. There used to be a saying when I was young, uh, when we lived in the days of steam instead of electricity, uh, that you don't install a steam hammer to crack a nut. Well, we could retranslate all that in modern terms. And you cannot think that all that wonderful thing has been done by God through Christ for us without some conventurate purpose and goal that will justify it. Think what God has done. He sent His Son, and He condemned sin in the flesh, that we might be saved, and that He might be just in so doing. We're told by John in his first epistle that, among other things, that Christ came to undo the works of the devil. Not only did he come to to accomplish our forgiveness, but behind it there was that attack, and that attack was upon the image of God. You remember right in the beginning, man was placed in this earth, and he was made in the image of God. And he was the subject of attack. We find that in the outworking of God's purpose there is a day coming when that image shall be wonderfully restored and the beginnings of it are taking place now according to one passage we'll look at in a moment in Colossians. So the passage we've just got in front of us for these brief minutes is Romans the 8th chapter, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If any of those who are listening to this programme are bothered about the word predestination, they will find that we have devoted a quarter of an hour, fancy devoting a quarter of an hour to that subject. Uh, but just to relieve the mind, there is no word destiny or fate in its makeup. And if you would examine the things that are in front of God with regard to predestination, There is no abuse of free will whatever, unless you say that because a rich uncle of yours died in Australia or America and left you £10,000, that it was an intrusion on your free will for him to put it down beforehand in his will and not tell you anything about it. But I've got to leave that man yet to believe it. The word predestinate is made of two Greek words, pro-horizo, to mark off beforehand, and it's never used as salvation, but predestinated to become the firstborn, predestinated to an inheritance, and predestinated to be like the Son of God. Who's going to quarrel with a destiny like that? So we'll need that to work its own way with you. Now then, let's think further. In the first part of this Romans, you remember, the Son of God is their set. We've looked at Romans as a whole and we find that every section of it is dominated by the word son. In here we have, he sent his own son in the likeness of simple flesh. Now that was the first move. And the last move is that we are going to be in the likeness of that son of God in his glory. There's the two balancing terms. And if you will turn straight away to another passage which will help to confirm this emphasis, Philippians chapter 2 and 3. In Philippians chapter 2, he brings in that marvellous revelation concerning the descent of the Son of God. Uh, It says, um, verse 6, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. There we've got very parallel with Romans, the first, uh, the uh, eighth chapter, first few verses. He was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There we have him, stooping down to the death of the cross. Now the third chapter, Verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our body of humiliation, not merely vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his body of glory. And that's according to the working whereby he is able, even to subdue all things unto himself. So we've got that in more places than one. That so God intends that that destroyed or defaced image, shall be renewed. Uh, but the blessed fact is, that once, we were, we were told once we bore the image of the earthy, but one day we're going to bear the image of the heavenly. And you'll find in Colossians, if you'll turn to that, to get a, another thought, chapter 3, that this is very, very plainly stated. He says in verse 10, you have put on the new man, this is in contrast to the old man, of course, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. And then, to confirm that this is still referring to something in the way that Christ enters into the story, chapter 1, verse 15, Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So, there, as the image of the invisible God, he was the firstborn of every creature. And in Romans, He's the firstborn among many brethren, and that may be a more wonderful thing still. Every creature will one day have to acknowledge willy-nilly, but here we have a family that are redeemed, and they are going to be conformed to his image. For whom he did foreknow, he also did mark off beforehand to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. And the whole of our Christian life can be summed up in just seeking to be like him as far as it's humanly possible and the grace of God is used by us. We are dealing with Philippians on our Sunday morning service and the passage I read just now when it says our conversation is in heaven is the word politeuma that means citizenship. And I remember that Paul said, speaking even of things down here, he said, I am a citizen of no mean city. And I said I felt the whole of Christian life could be summed up in these words. If you're a citizen of no mean city, well don't be a mean citizen. And that covers sanctification, justification, forgiveness, and walking in the steps of faith and truth, just living in harmony with your high calling. This emphasis upon the image, you remember, uh, persists, uh, I'll give you another passage, which may have come into your mind, 1 Corinthians 15, I've partly quoted it, but it's something to which we press, one day there's going to be a wonderful change. It says, first of all, um, verse 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So whether you're living at the second coming of Christ or whether you're not, one thing is going to be true of us all. We shall all be changed. And without being rude to anybody, I should say, isn't that a good thing? Because you're all looking at me, I know. Uh, but I'm looking at you. And all the things that go to make up this life, however wonderful they be, how much we cling to them all today. And how are we going to be changed? Well, we don't know how. But is there a, a pattern? Oh, yes, there is. So we have here, a little bit earlier, uh, verse um, 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So it's most obvious that this image which we meet in Genesis, which we find recurring through the Scriptures, is a definite part of the divine program of redemption. Not only is it that we should be forgiven, Not only that we should be justified, not only that we should have a place in glory, but that God's original purpose, that in this universe there should be those who, like his beloved Son, is the manifest image of the invisible God. You see, we find even today, even we, according to the epistle to the Ephesians, that we are a a representation of some of the ways of God to invisible powers, I think perhaps we might get the passage, on rather mangling it. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. To the intent that now, now, not, not in the future merely, to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers, in heavenly places, might be known by the church, through the church, through these redeemed people, the manifold wisdom of God. It's rather extraordinary to think that principalities and powers are being taught lessons by looking at us. And then in the, in the day that's coming, uh, verse, ch- chapter 2, verse 7, not nearly now, there's a stress on the word now, but now it says that in the ages to come, so in the glorious future, he might show, show to whom? Well, there's somebody go to see and learn apparently. Show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. And then we come back to Romans the 8th chapter. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. There's one thing about it, that when God has a purpose, he has all the facilities to bring that purpose to a glorious fruition. We may be staggered at this thought. But we've already been reminded it's according to that power whereby he subdue all things unto himself, or as Ephesians put it, the power that was wrought in Christ when he was raised from the dead. Whom he did mark off beforehand, he called. You and I have all come to God by different pathways. Some have sat in churches and some have heard the word we don't know how. Some have read the printed page and we couldn't always explain what started the move, but God was behind it all. He called. And who be called, then he also justified. A great sweep there, a great step, and a good many steps have been sort of uh, omitted. But God will have no one unjustified in his presence. And not only He, uh, ourselves, but he so planned redemption that he shall be just at the same time, to declare his righteousness as well as to give us a righteousness by faith. And whom he justified he's going to take to this glorious conclusion. Then he also glorified. And if you say to me, can you give me some description of that glory? Well I say I'm reminded that it hasn't been to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him, that love him. But I've got this one thing. I think it will be sufficient if I got deep down in my consciousness that whatever glory may involve, whatever it may be like, whatever depths to plumb and, and heights to scale, in that day, there's one thing going to be a fact already stamped upon it. That glory will be something like the Son of God. But it says, we should be conformed to his image. And there is a hymn I've heard some in the early days about many things. That will be glory for thee. Well I think we could revise that even put these words in that if you and I, poor creatures as we are, shall one day be conformed to the image of God's Son, and find that we are reckoned as his brethren, and he the firstborn, well if there's no other glory waiting us than that. I think it's one of those things that can hold a heart and keep us, as it were, with our thoughts set upon things above.